0: And in the meantime, I'm going to pull up our scripture today, um, which comes from Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 1. We're going to read a section all the way down to verse 7. Ooh, I was like, there's not a 24. It's because I was in Judges. Um, Joshua 24, 1 through 7, and then picking up in 13 through 15. All right, and I'll be reading out of the Common English Bible. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders of Israel, its leaders, its judges, and officers. They presented themselves before God. Then Joshua said to the entire people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors lived on the other side of the Euphrates. They served other gods. Among them was Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. I took Abraham, your ancestor, from the land on the other side of the Euphrates. I led him around through the whole land of Canaan. I added to his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Mount Seir to Esau to take over, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt with what I did to them, and after that I brought you out. I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. The Egyptians, of, the Egyptians chased your ancestors with chariots and horses to the reed sea, and then they cried for help to the Lord. So he's at darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea down upon them, and it covered them with your own eyes. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. You lived in the desert for a long time. I gave you land on which you hadn't toiled and cities that you hadn't built. You settled in them and are enjoying produce from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So now, revere the Lord. Serve him honestly and faithfully. Put aside the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if it seems wrong in your opinion to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Choose the gods whom your ancestors served before the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites who, in whose land you live, but my family and I will serve the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Please pray with me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, because you, God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's this line that keeps recurring in the book of Judges that is, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There's a legend that George Washington was offered and turned down a throne to have been established after the American Revolution, so we would have had our own king. There's no doubt that at least one person, a Colonel Nicholas, I'm sorry, Louis Nicola, wrote to the general with that suggestion, and Washington quickly refused. In fact, the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, Um, includes a provision designed to avoid even the possibility of a kingly president. Most constitutional scholars now believe that the 35 years of age age limit um, for a president was stipulated in the Constitution because according to the life expectancies of that time, it would have kept any kind of dynastic power handoff. So you wouldn't have a president so old, he could just pass the presidency onto his son thus no king you ever feel like they had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes could be used to describe today if so are you careful um not to characterize everyone else you know everyone did what was right in their own eyes um everyone except me is doing what is right in their own eyes because that's That's a challenge that we have, I think. Or maybe do you feel like everyone else is doing what is right in their own eyes, but I'm trying really hard to do what God wants me to do and to be who God wants me to be. We're going to cover a lot of ground today as I want to create time for us to observe all saints next Sunday. On that note, I want to invite you to let us know of any loved ones that you've lost in the last year. They don't have to be members of this congregation, just people who are important to you. So today, um, if you haven't done your connection yet, your connection card, ovillaumcorg slash connect, share with us any people that you'd like us to remember next week for All Saints Day. Today we're looking at the time of Joshua and the Judges, which would probably make an okay Ska band name. Um, anyway, last week we got through God calling Moses and God and Moses delivering all God's people. In the little summary that you heard Julia read for us this morning at the beginning of Judges. The enslaved people cried out to God for help, and God always hears the cry of the needy. And so God sent Moses. God delivered them from their slavery, and after setting them free, after setting them free, God gave them rules and commandments. Um, directions for how to live, procedures where they could learn to live as God's chosen people because God's chosen people were to be part of God's desire to bless all the families of the earth. So last week, I asked from what you have been delivered and from what God is still in the process of delivering you. Most of us, God's not quite finished with. So then, Tuesday morning, I'm reading from my devotional time, um, John 8, in verse 34, Jesus said, I assure you that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Anyone here still sin? Occasionally? Once in a while? I'm not going to ask you to name it out loud. You don't have to put that in your Connect card. It's totally fine. But if you do then you're still in the process of being delivered. And that's a good thing. And that really begins the beauty of our story, because the, the sermon series is the story until now. It's, it's our story. It's that this, this stuff that we're talking about isn't just what happened thousands of years ago. It's, it's what is happening today. It's what continues to happen in our lives, sometimes in cycles for us. But it's really kind of a constant theme. Um, as in I suppose if we look at our lives carefully and honestly, we'll find the part of the story that we talk about today. There was no king, so everybody did what was right in their own eyes really relevant. So I'd be really interested in hearing afterwards or in your connection card or in your comments if you're with us online, how the story that we're, the part of the story we're at today, feels relevant to you. I would love to know that. Now, I'm not nearly as interested in you telling me how you feel this part of the story is really relevant for some other subgroup or somebody else, but for you. Because I know how this goes. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has me on the edge of something that I need to learn to do or something I need to give up, something I need to walk away from or something I need to walk towards. And one of my first lines of defense with the Holy Spirit is to point out to God something that somebody else needs done in their life, as though the Holy Spirit can't handle them but through me. But when I'm honest, I admit to myself that I'm trying to deflect the Holy Spirit from talking to me because the Holy Spirit would use its time much more efficiently if he'd just deal with other people. So I'm extremely confident in the Holy Spirit's ability to speak through me. But I'm not bragging. If you've read the story of Balaam, you would know it's not bragging to say that God can use you. So we'll move on. God has something for you today. I'm convinced of it. Whether it's something that I think God has for you, I don't know yet. You can tell me afterwards. But God has something for you today. So Moses was perhaps the greatest of all the prophets of the Jews. That's why he's one of two that shows up with Jesus in the transfiguration. Jesus takes just a few of his disciples up the mountain and Moses and Elijah appear with him. So this next book, the one from which Julia read at the end, Joshua, starts with Moses' death and with Joshua kind of assuming the mantle. And the book of Joshua presents presents Joshua as kind of the new Moses. I mean, it starts with this. Joshua has the people together and he tells them of God's call for obedience to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which has, you know, the Ten Commandments which we know through Jesus that that the commandments can all be summed up in two. And uh, Jewish folks have recognized 613 total commands in the Torah. So Joshua kind of goes over all this for the people again. Then he sends spies into the promised land again, as Moses had done. It works out better this time. In fact, even some of the people in the land that they were sent in to spy on turn and follow their God. And then, like Moses had done with the Red Sea, Joshua leads all the people across the dry land of the Jordan River to take possession of the land God has given them. And that's just in the first four chapters. And then there's this strange little story in Joshua chapter 5, where Joshua meets, the scripture says, a man standing before him with his sword drawn, and Joshua says, are you on our side or our enemies. And the man says, neither. I'm the commander of the Lord's heavenly forces. Maybe a reminder for us not to be so us against them. God, are you on my side or the enemies? But for us to seek to be on God's side, because I think that's what this section of the Bible is really about. And the way it's leading into the rest of Joshua, is to remind them and to remind us that the battle is the Lord's. Because They're fixing to take over, proclaim conquest over the entire land that God's giving them. So it tells us, hopefully, that what God wants done, God will do. What God wants from us is not necessarily to fight valiantly or to win for God, but to be obedient to what God says for us to do. To love God with all we are, to love our neighbors as ourselves. It sums up the law and the prophets, Jesus says. So, God requires obedience from us, not overpowering victory. We don't have to be better or stronger or smarter or cleverer than our enemies or opponents. We just have to be obedient. Which hopefully sounds at least a little refreshing and kind of simple. But then what's the first thing that most of us think of? It's some version of, well, God didn't expect me to be perfect. We get a little defensive. We can give a few examples. I mean, I told you you didn't have to list these sins that you're still living in. You don't have to. But this is the point in the argument where you start thinking of, God didn't expect me to be perfect, man, even this obedient thing. It's true. So I want to share this with you. It's not unusual for a one year old to try and fail to walk up to 70 times an hour when they're learning to walk. 70 times an hour. There aren't all that many things you can do 70 times in one hour, let alone fail at them 70 times in one hour. So before I go any further, I want you to know that um, I want to be careful here. I read last week that in church or worshiping, you don't have to be here to be here. Um, I was reminded that many of you are exhausted. And that that, that some people faithfully in worship, when it gets to this point in the service where the talking head is up here talking... It comes across as just giving you more to do, just trying to wear you out some more. So, like instead of sermon, we should call this piling on time. I, I don't want to be the piling on preacher. We're all tired. I mean, I mean, not just tired because you didn't get up sleep last night, but long term tired, whatever your feelings or beliefs are about the pandemic. It's been a long time since it wasn't at least part of every single person's day. Most of us have lost someone we love to COVID. Many of you have changed jobs since COVID started. Many people face uncertainty about jobs or parents or children thanks to the pandemic. So we are tired. I have good news for you today. I'm not going to add a single thing to your list of things to do this week. I'm not going to give you three or five or seven points to remember to help you follow Jesus better. I'm just going to invite you to try, keep trying to be obedient. God honors every attempt that we make to be obedient. Even if we try and fail 70 times an hour. There's not a single one-year-old that ever gave up trying to walk. And some of us the parents, when we're in the midst of those 70 failures an hour, when you're in the, caught up in the middle of that, you wonder if this child's ever going to walk. The answer is yes. Sometimes a little longer term, sometimes we wonder if they're ever going to get potty trained. Anybody in the room? Not potty trained? You made it. This is awesome. You thought I was going the other way, huh? So the next books in the Bible, these books that we're on today, are full of reminders that obedience to God isn't easy. Now, it isn't hard because God set the bar so high. Because you remember, God didn't give the people 613 commandments to keep for a certain amount of time, and then God would deliver them from slavery. God got them out. But the message of Joshua and Judges is, it's, it's hard to be obedient because we have so much trouble not making up what being obedient is really all about. Simply, it's not about everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. There are 613 recognized commands in the Torah. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So they're still here. Most of us have our favorites. This one's the most important. No, this is. On our good days, we remember Jesus summed all 613 up into love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbors and yourself. On our not-so-good days, we get some one or collection of the commandments stuck in our craw, usually because it's one that doesn't trouble us greatly, but somebody's out there flaunting it, and we can, again, point the Holy Spirit at them to try to deflect the Holy Spirit from working in our lives to deal with what we need to deal with. So we weaponize some other command that's not so difficult for us and aim it at other people. And in doing so, we've obviously forgotten the whole love your neighbor as yourself part. So if you have commentary on somebody else's disobedience, then follow Jesus' pattern. Because Jesus doesn't say, man, just let everybody else go. Everybody do what's right in your own eyes. No, Jesus sets up this pattern. It's in Matthew 18. He says, if you've got a problem with what somebody's doing, go to them one-on-one and talk to them. If that doesn't work... Bring a trusted friend or two. If that doesn't work, take them before the church. And if they still won't listen to you, take them before the church, treat them like you treat a Gentile or a tax collector. And before you get to that last point, make sure you pay attention to how Jesus dealt with Gentiles and tax collectors. And go and do likewise. Obedience is the simplest thing and the most challenging thing. So through the book of Judges, God's people are careening in the opposite direction of living as the delivered, redeemed people of God. It's like they've forgotten that they are so blessed because God is trying to form them to be people through whom God can bless all the families of the earth. So God raises up a series of Judges Not courtroom judges, but that's the the Old Testament title for a leader of the community for a given time. And the the leaders or the judges, they're raised up to defeat a certain foe or to restore Israel somehow. But as the story goes, the character of the judges kind of just keeps dropping as you go through the story, culminating in Samson. Samson defeats the Philistines, so he's a successful judge... But he's incredibly promiscuous and violent and arrogant. So much that literally no one holds him up as an example. I mean, they're not over there spending time in children's church on how to grow up to be Samson. If you named your kid Samson, it's not because you wanted him to turn out like the one in the Bible. Samson was not an exemplar of obedience. Yet... And here's an important part for us to remember, yet through all that disobedience, God remained faithful. Through whatever disobedience might be in the world around us today, or in us, God is faithful. The book of Judges is in fact a tragedy that reminds us that even after God has delivered people, has redeemed people, they still have to be dependent on God's grace. So let me put that in present tense even after God has delivered us and redeemed us, we still rely on God's grace. And we show our willingness to live in response to God's grace by practicing obedience. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We have no king but Jesus. Yet we struggle not to be a church where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. I don't have an easy cure or a quick fix for this except to practice obedience. And obedience doesn't mean learning all 613 commandments. So you can be even harder on yourself. If obedience depended on learning all 613 commandments, then smarter people would be more naturally able to be obedient than the rest of us. And there's nothing in Scripture that teaches that being smart helps make you be a better follower of Jesus. Obedience depends first and foremost on remembering that we've been delivered. See, I think once the people got into the promised land and God gave them victory over so many other peoples, it was easy to forget all that God had done for them, even though a part of the litanies through the first five books of the Bible was God's people were supposed to be continually reminding themselves that we were once slaves in Egypt. And we're supposed to 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 base our treatment of everybody else on remembering what it felt like to be a slave in Egypt. So obedience depends primarily on remembering that we've been redeemed, that we've been delivered, that we've been set free. And obedience demands that we remember this every day with every breath that we take. And when when you fail... When you find yourself deflecting the Holy Spirit's attention over to some other person, some group that you want God to go deal with them instead of dealing with you, just stop and go back to being obedient. Even if you have to do it 70 times an hour, keep trying and pray with. God, we are grateful that you are faithful. There's nothing we can do to challenge or turn away your faithfulness. Not that we intentionally try, God, but we have failed to live as obedient people. Every once in a while, we've failed 70 times in the same hour, God, and you are still faithful. And you pick us up when we fall. And you help us brush ourselves off. And you encourage us to go on and try again. God, we live sometimes just like the people in the time of the judges. As though everyone ought to do what's right in their own eyes. But God, at the same time, you've given us the church to be a part of where we can encourage and challenge each other because we all keep failing. And God, don't let us off the hook in telling ourselves that we just can't do any better. But God, remind us of your faithfulness. Help us to find courage and energy and comfort and rest in your faithfulness that we might live as the people of God, that through us, God, you would carry out your desire to bless all the families of the earth. We know they are tired. We know they're hurting and broken, and some have given up hope, and some are right on the edge of giving up hope. So God, through simple times like this worship service where we sing songs of praise, we lift ourselves and each other to you, fill us with hope that we can live as obedient